This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. And we say it every week, we believe you've come to the right place uh, because I don't think you'll find a finer church in all of Mission Viejo. Amen. Uh, Today is an exciting Sunday because we are going to begin a new series of lessons on the book of John. And as we transition, can you believe it, 2015 is almost already over. We're we're heading into the holiday times and uh, we're going to transition a little bit with some of our studies. So I want to say this this morning. Uh, This book, 1 John, is really a good book uh, for those that are new Uh, to Christ, babes in Christ seekers, and also for the seasoned members that have been members of the church for a long uh, time. And we're going to dig deep during this series. So um, the plan is to cover one chapter a week for the next five weeks. And for those of you that attend Wednesday night Bible class, I know you're saying, how is Jason going to cover a chapter a week? He can't even do that in an hour's time. He's going to try to do it in 30 minutes. Where's Mary Vaughn? I see Yolanda. You guys bear with me. I'm really going to try to do this, but the goal is to cover a chapter a week for the next five weeks, which will get us through the month of November as we close out uh, this year. So, um, Uh, The question that I want to pose to you this morning as we begin is, have you ever had to repeat yourself before? And for those that have young children in the audience this morning, you say, yes, I know exactly what that's about. Amen. I'm a subject matter expert on repeating myself. Uh, I hate having to repeat myself. I don't don't know about you guys, but... uh, specifically when I've already spoken clearly and slowly so that the person can understand. You see, it can be a very frustrating thing when the person that you're speaking to doesn't listen clearly or doesn't care to listen to what you have to say or don't understand. Or even worse, they might just not believe what you're saying. It's a frustrating thing when you're trying to communicate and it just doesn't get through. The person doesn't believe you. My dear wife is a nurse practitioner, right? And she has vast knowledge when it comes to the medical field. We've asked her to pursue uh, becoming a doctor, but that's not the route that she wants to take because she loves patient care. But guess what? I knew Mary before she was a nurse practitioner. When she was struggling to learn how to give shots and take blood and things of that nature. So in my mind, I kind of don't believe that she's a nurse practitioner sometimes. I have trouble with that. Lo and behold, one day I came home after a long workout at the gym. I'd been doing uh, sit-ups and my stomach was really hurting in the lower left quadrant. And I had eaten a big hamburger before I worked out. So I'm thinking I just have a little indigestion, you know, the bubble guts or something. But this carried on for about three or four days. And eventually I began to get hunched over and I was having a lot of sharp pain. And Mary said, Jason, let me come and check you out. And she did certain tests and was pushing on my side. And she said, Jason, you have appendicitis. You need to go to the hospital right away. I said, woman, you don't know what you're talking about. I ate a bed bacon cheeseburger, and that's all it is. I don't believe you. And she said, Jason, you are going to go. And she stayed on my case. So eventually we went to the ER. I sat down in the doctor's chair, and the doctor said to me, Jason, you have appendicitis. If you would have waited one more day, you would have been in a lot of trouble. We're putting you in surgery immediately. 
And Mary looked at me, and you know what she wanted to say, right? I told you so. (laughs) She didn't say it that day, and I'm so thankful because I would have been really upset. But it's hard when you're trying to communicate to people or to an audience that just doesn't believe what you're saying. And so was the case of the Apostle John in 1 John. You see, if you go to this first slide, the, 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 the Apostle John, throughout Scripture, uh, commentators say that he wrote uh, a total of five books. He wrote the Gospel of John, he wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and he wrote the book of Revelation, or Revelations, as some people say. So here, we look at this individual, and the Apostle John was known by many names. Some called him an apostle. Others called him an evangelist. Some say he was John of Patmos. Others say that he was the disciple that Jesus loved. This individual had many, many names. And if you're looking at your sermon notes, your outline this morning, the first question is, is this person the same person or are these different individuals? Most scholars agree that this was all the same the same person that just went by different names. And he wrote not only the Gospel of John, but then he gets into 1 John, and what he's having to do is he's having to combat, to fight against a false doctrine, and he was fighting against a people group that just did not believe the message that he was trying to communicate. They didn't like his message. They didn't believe. They didn't understand what he was saying. So he wrote an apologetic writing. And I love that we're talking about apologetics because in our Bible class, uh, we're doing that as well. Trying to figure out how do you combat um, and how do you communicate against a people group or a position that people just, just don't believe in. So, so we find here in 1 John, John writing to combat this false doctrine known as docetism. You guys say that with me, docetism. And you may be asking yourself, I know what docetism is. Some of you may be saying, I don't know what is that. What? Explain it to me, Jason. Docetism was this false doctrine that stated that Jesus was so holy, in fact, so holy that he could never be contained in bodily form. They said that the scripture communicates that God is a spirit, and they said that Jesus was so holy that he couldn't be in a body, but he manifested himself in the form of a spirit. So that flesh and blood being that Gary talked about during the communion uh, thought really wasn't Jesus, but Jesus did come back to the earth. Now that's an interesting doctrine. That's confusing and that's hard. And so we see the Apostle John speaking to this idea and combating against or having an apologetic writing against this false doctrine called docetism. If you have your Bibles this morning, before we get to 1 John, I want to look at the Gospel of John, and I want to look at John uh, chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, uh, break them out. And uh, I haven't done this in a while, uh, but I want to do a Bible check this morning. If you got your Bibles, hold them up. Let's see who's got your Bibles this morning, or your iPad, or very, very good, very good. Let's turn to John chapter 1. And what we find, which is so neat, is we see John using some similar language in the Gospel, chapter 1, and in in 1 John, chapter 1. And this is what he says. In the beginning was the Word, 
and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then we move on down to verse number 14, and he says this, The Word, for those of you who are docetists, the Word really did become flesh. And he made his dwelling among us, and we have seen with our senses, we have physically seen his glory, the glory of the one and the only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And what John was communicating to the naysayers is that Jesus, even though he was God, even though he was a spirit, really did manifest and become incarnational and take up residence in a fleshly human body. And I highlighted two words, beginning and seen. And what I love so much now as we transition into 1 John is we see the same language being used in the very first verse. So you guys bear with me. Alicia, these are not up on the slides, but I'm going to read the entire chapter of 1 John. So you guys follow along with me in your Bibles or scroll on your iPads or your phones or whatever you have. And let's read this together. 1 John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write to this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. Don't you love that passage of Scripture? Don't you love that chapter? Alicia, go to 1 John chapter 1 in the first verse. Next slide, please. I've highlighted some words that you can follow on your outline that really combats this false teaching of docetism. That which, we, uh, which from the beginning we have heard, we have seen with our eyes, we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim the word of life. John was saying Jesus really came in the flesh as a man. The apostles physically heard his voice and saw his face and touched him. Jesus was called the word of life and eternal life. And we enjoy fellowship with God and with each other today if we believe that Jesus really came 
in the flesh, that he was a physical manifestation of God in the flesh. But guess what? Today I believe that the world is still full of skeptics and that they don't believe this concept or idea of Jesus really coming in the flesh. Even in the New Testament, some of the apostles had trouble with the incarnation and the resurrection of Jesus. You remember the story of old doubting Thomas, right? Jesus died and rose again and appeared to the apostles. And doubting Thomas said, unless I see with my own eyes and feel the nail prints in his hands, I will not believe. And then you remember what Jesus said to Thomas. Blessed are you because you see me and you believe. But blessed are they who have not seen me or who will never see me but still believe. Did you know this morning, church, that you are a blessed group of people? Because you have faith in Jesus Christ, even though you have never physically seen him or touched him or heard his voice. That's faith. And that is powerful. But we live in a world full of skeptics. And it's hard sometimes to convince them about what faith is and what a life of faith is all about. So as we begin to dive in this text and, and study it and exegete it a little bit, I want to pull out a couple of passages and spend our time with it. So again, if you're following the sermon outline or the sermon notes in your bulletin, you can follow along with me. So we move down to verse number six, and there's something here that I want to pull out that I think that is really, really neat and will help set the context of where we're going this morning. Verse number six says this, If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. In the preceding verses, we learn that God is light and that if we live for God, that makes us lights as well. And you remember what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 5. You are the light of the world, right? Let your light shine before men that they may see your good Bible studies that they may see your good theology, your good conversation. Know that they may see your good what? Deeds or works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You see, church, in order to make disciples of all men, they must see our good deeds. We must interact with them and they may, they, so they, they can see God through our efforts through our loving on our neighbors, through our caring for the poor, through our efforts with City of Children and other ministries, they've got to see church. And that's how we live as lights. We make disciples for caring, by caring for other people. But in order to live as lights and to, to, to embody this mindset of mentality, we have to make sure that we don't walk in darkness. We have to make sure we do that. So the question that I have for you this morning that we're going to spend some time with is, is this, and I want you to ponder with me. We're called not to walk in darkness. We're called to walk in the light. And the very practical question is this morning, how do we do that? How do we continually walk in the light? This morning, I want to give you three principles that you can take with you, that you can jot down as notes and uh, keep uh, with you always. I think the, the first way that we walk as lights is that we have to stay connected to God. We have to. Uh, my grandmama used to tell me all the time, the people that we spend the most time with are the people that we become like, amen? The people that we spend the most time with are the people that we become like. 
You know, every summer, Carl, my wife uh, and children, they go to New Hampshire. Uh, and Mary was raised in New Hampshire. She's not here this morning, so I'm going to say she was raised in the sticks of New Hampshire, right? And what I love about uh, New Hampshireites is their, uh, their uh, accents. If you're from New Hampshire or the New England area, you have a very, very thick, thick accent. And what's so funny to me is that every time Mary goes home to visit her family and spends time with her family and then comes back to California, I can't understand a word that she says. Last summer, she came back. She said, it's wicked hot. I said, what? She said, it's wicked hot. I said, what, what does that mean? Oh, it's very hot outside. Okay, I get it. You see, when she spends time with people from that region, her family, she begins to embody some of that. Pot the car and the hobbit yacht, Jason. I said, what are you talking about? Right? Because the people we spend time with are the people we become like. So in order to walk in the light, we have to spend time with God. And the question is, well, how do we do that? How do we spend time with God? Well, there's some very practical steps. What does our daily devotion look like to him? Are we often in prayer, communicating with God every single day? Are we in his word? Are we meditating? Are we spending time with God? And a lot of us can say we're really busy, so sometimes it just doesn't work out that way. You begin to become like the people you spend most of your time with. Point number two, how else do we walk in the light? Well, we've got to flee from the presence of evil. As the scripture said, flees from, from every appearance of evil. And you may be saying to yourself, that's really hard to do, Jason, because have you noticed what's going on in the world today? There's evil everywhere. Sin is all over the place. You can walk out your front door and, and open your eyes and sin is right there. You can flip on the television, sin is right there. So what do we do to flee the appearance of evil? Well, we become monks and we live in monasteries in the mountains, amen? That's what we're called to do, right? You know, what was so interesting is when I got deployed with the military, uh, they sent us to Egypt. And I got to climb Mount Sinai. We think it was. We don't know exactly where. And I even saw the burning bush. Go figure, right? And up on Mount Sinai, they have this very famous monastery called St. Catherine's Monastery. And we got to tour the monastery, and we met some of the monks. You know what the monks did all day? They just sat in their room and read the Bible and prayed all day. That's all they did. They would go out to eat, come back, and what they did is they separated themselves from the world to flee from the appearance of evil. And I think that's what God is calling us to do, right? No. If we read the Scripture, the Bible tells us that we have to learn to live in the world but to not be of the world. So that means that when we see evil taking place, we've got to make sure we run away from it. And there's evil everywhere. So we've got to make sure that we, we, we keep ourselves from that stuff, from contaminating us. And that's how we remain walking in the light. And then what else? Point number three is this. How do we walk in the light? Well, we've got to have fellowship with the church. Amen. Now, this idea or this thought process is changing today culturally because many people say that they can stay connected to God and stay away from sin and not be involved in a church and still be okay. 
I talk to young people all the time. When I was a campus minister at Loyola Marymount, people would say, I love God and I'm religious and I'm spiritual, but I don't go to church. And I said, well, how does that work? Well, I read my Bible and I pray and sometimes I look up some sermons online. But that's, that's a thought process today. I, I, I don't need the church. And why don't people like the church? Well, they say, sometimes I go into church and I feel judged. Right? Or, 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 or I, I don't get along with certain people in the church, so I don't go to church. Or I'm too busy working, so I don't have time for church. You know, you can't fight and win a spiritual war without a team. You can't fight and win a spiritual war without your comrades. And you can't walk in the light without your church family. So don't believe Satan's lie. You've got to be connected at a church. And I think those are three principles that will help us walk in the light and avoid walking in the darkness. Now, I want to make this clear. As I spent time thinking through this study, uh, I think there's a distinction to be made between walking in the darkness and falling off the wagon and sinning. You might be going, huh? How does that work? Well, well, bear with me. Walking in the darkness and being a disciple of Jesus Christ and making mistakes and falling short of his glory are two separate things. You see, I know some people that walk in darkness, and you probably do too. They live a lifestyle of sin. They know it's wrong, but they continue to be involved with it. That's walking in darkness. And we know that members of the church do not walk in darkness, or at least they shouldn't be walking in darkness. But you see, as baptized believers in Jesus Christ, sometimes we fall short and we make mistakes. And that's why uh, we see what the Scripture says in in verse number 9. So you guys look at verse number 9 with me, and I'm almost, I'm almost done here. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all righteousness. I'm going to give you a little church history real quick. You know, the Pentecostal churches, the Pentecostal movement, uh, started from like this, this holiness theology this holiness mindset. You see, what the Pentecostal churches said and the holiness movement said in America is once you become a Christian, there's a way for you to remain sanctified and cleansed and never sin again. That was the theology. When you become a Christian, guess what? You cannot sin for the rest of your life. And how you do that is you're empowered by the gifts, the miraculous gifts of the Spirit. You see, when you have the Holy Spirit in you and you're able to perform miracles, speak in tongues and things of that nature, it keeps you holy and away from sin. But as I read Scripture, the Scripture tells me you can be filled with the Holy Spirit and still fall short of the glory of God. You see, here's what I do know. Some of you on the way to church this morning sinned. I know, I can't believe it, right? <laughs> some of you in the car on the way to church this morning sinned. Guess what? Some of you, some of us, we even sinned during the worship service. That's what I do know. Uh-oh, don't point fingers. I'm seeing some pointing. <laughs> don't do that. Some of you, as immediate, once we leave this building, you're going to sin. After you've heard and you've been in fellowship, you're going to make mistakes. All of us do. We have a sin problem, even though we are members of Christ's body. However, like I said, I think there's a difference between walking in the darkness and falling short. And the way that we remove this sin from our lives is 
not by some miraculous power or anything like that. The scripture says the way that we purify ourselves so that we can continue to walk in light is through this process called confession. Confession. Now, confession is a tricky process in the church of Christ, isn't it? <laughs> Say amen if you can. Right? Confession is a tricky process, right? Because here's one of the things that we do in our fellowship uh, at the conclusion of the song. If there's anyone here with a need, come forward together while we stand and sing, right? And that's supposed to be confession time 101. And I know people just love coming forward on Sunday. I just know it, right? You can tell by the droves of people that come forward every time I offer the invitation, right? Confession is a tricky process. You see, in the Catholic Church, they really practice this idea of confession. Remember, you go into this little dark room, and they would open up the door, and the priest would be on the other side, and you say, Father, I've done all of this, right? And the Father said, well, go and, and sin no more. And I'm wondering how this confession idea or this confession process has morphed over time. I've been at churches before where uh, we would have a time of confession, right? And members of the church at the conclusion of the service would stand up. And these are mainly African-American churches of Christ that I've seen anyway. That's been my experience. They would stand up and say, I've sinned, I've repented my sins, and I asked the church to pray for me, right? And that was confession, right? That was the model. I'm not quite sure that's how confession works. I'm not quite sure. But I, I do know we need to practice confession. If, if you're a sinner like I am, right? So I want to leave you with some practical, uh, practical thoughts on how to carry out this idea of confession so that we continually walk in the light and that we can continually purify ourselves from the sins that we are involved with on a daily basis. So how do we do this, this thing called confession? Well, first of all, we know that confession happens through a prayer life with God. And if you're like me, you pray every single day, Lord, forgive me, because I messed up again. Father, forgive me, because I did the same thing that I've been trying to get over, and I keep on doing it. Lord, forgive me of my sins. I confess everything to you, and that's why prayer is so powerful. And that's why in the Lord's Prayer, part of the Lord's Prayer is, Lord, forgive me of my sins, of my trespasses, as I forgive the people that have trespassed against me, right? So we confess our sins every single day. So I would encourage you, if you're not doing this already, confess your sins every single day. But the problem is sometimes we do sins that we're not aware of. And sometimes those are the most deadly sins that we participate in, the ones that we don't even know we're guilty of. Because we all know the things that we do wrong, but there's some things in our lives that we're not aware of. So when we pray, we say, Lord, forgive me of the sins that I do knowingly and those that I'm not even aware of. And help me to become aware of them so I can better serve you. So it starts with this practice of confession, confessing your sins to God every single day. If you've been keeping up with your Bible study readings, uh-oh, <laughs> if you've been keeping up with your Bible study readings over the course of the year that we started in January, right, I don't know what plan you are on or where you are in that process, but we're coming to a close here. One of the books that you read through was Ezekiel, or Daniel, excuse me, and I love this, this chapter in Daniel uh, where he, he confesses his sin and the sin of the entire community to the Lord. And in his prayer, he says, Lord, I've been guilty. And guess what? The children of Israel have been guilty. We as a people group, your people have been guilty of sin. We've not obeyed your law completely. We've fallen short. We've worshipped idols. Our forefathers led us in a poor direction. And we continually live on that trajectory and we had never repented. Lord, forgive us. I think even as a church, we need to confess our sins to the Lord. As a body, as a team here, I wonder how God looks at our church 
And I hope and pray that we often confess and pray for our church. Lord, forgive us of the sins that we're guilty of as a body here at Mission Viejo. And I think that's a great way to start the process of confession. Confess your sins to God. What else? Here, here, here's where it gets a little tricky. I know another way that we can practice confession, and it's this. Share with a trusted brother or sister in Christ. I didn't hear any amens on that one. None! <laughs> but that's a tricky one, right? But I truly believe that you ought to have a brother and sister in Christ that you can look at and you know you can tell anything to. And they won't judge you. They won't judge you. You can go up to that person and say, I've been struggling with this, and be as transparent as you want to be. And that person will look at you and say, you know what? I love you, and I'm going to pray for you. And if you need any help, I'm here to help you out. But you see, oftentimes we don't feel comfortable with that, right? And I think one of the reasons why we don't feel comfortable with that is because sometimes we don't have those relationships. So I would really encourage you to pick a brother or sister in Christ and unload on them. Now, okay, now, you know what I mean? That, that you have that relationship with, that you can tell anything to. I have some people here at this church that I know I can share my full heart with. And they'll withhold judgment and pray for me and love on me. And if you don't have that person in this church, you need to build that relationship with someone that you can just share your entire heart with. Because that's so powerful. Because confession, the scripture says, saves us. Confession purifies us. There's something so powerful about, about being able to unload and letting everybody know uh, that you're close with what you're going through. It's powerful. But you also should know you, you don't have to tell everybody all your business all the time as well. Amen? Right? Because I know some people that would just tell you everything all the time to anybody. You go, well, maybe you should have kept that one between your circle of friends and, you know. And I think that's okay as well. You don't have to tell everybody all your business. My grandma used to tell me that all the time. Don't tell everybody everything. But there's some people here that are just so open, right? I am. I just, I just tell it all, right? And, and that might not be the wisest as well, okay? <laughs> it might not be the wisest. And lastly, here's where it gets a little, a little more tough. I think another way to practice confession is really to come forward after the sermon. That's another way. Well, why is that important? Because I think public acknowledgement is powerful. I think it's powerful. And it's not designed or intended to be a show, right? Uh, I had a lady at my previous church that she used to come for every single Sunday. Every Sunday. Every single Sunday. I said, you don't have to come every Sunday, but you know, every, maybe once a quarter is probably good enough, but she would come every single Sunday to the front. And what I found out is it became a little, look at me, kind of situation. But you know, when you come forward after the sermon, what you're doing is you're asking the church in a very public way to journey with you so that you can be purified and so that you can walk in the light. And let me tell you this, and I'm going to be quite frank. When you come forward on a Sunday morning, some people will judge you. Can you believe what they've been involved in? <gasps> wow, it finally came out, didn't it? Right? Some people will judge you, and others won't judge you. But guess what? You don't care what people think. You care what God thinks. Right? So don't ever let that stop you. You're more concerned about what God thinks. And the people in the church that really love you and are concerned about you, they'll appreciate you coming forward and asking everyone to journey with you and to pray for you. It's powerful. So don't ever 
let anybody discourage you. And I think when you come forward in a very public way, it takes courage. And I think God is really proud of you when you're able to come forward and say, hey, I need help. And I think those are some ways that we can practice this spiritual discipline, confession, so that we can walk in the light. As I close, the question is, what does confession produce in us? You ever been guilty of something and you've just been holding it in forever? And it's just been eating you up and eating you up and eating you up? You know, I have a daughter that is just so transparent and I love it, love it so much. Uh, and then one that is not so much, okay? But Alayla, she, she, she has to tell daddy everything that she has done, right? Dad, I, I, I ate one of your cookies. <laughs> you know, she can't help it. And, and, and when I say, Alayla, thank you for telling me, she's, ah, oh, you know, I feel so relieved and better, dad. You know, I just, you know, you know what confession does? It just relieves you of carrying that weight. And you say, you know what, it's out there. People know, and I... I just, I feel relieved. I feel better that I'm not carrying it by myself anymore. And people know, and I've been transparent. So it produces a clean conscience. What else does confession produce? Here's a powerful one. It produces humility. And I think all of us could use a dose of humility. Everybody, no matter how humble you are, where you are, all of us could use a dose of humility. When you say, you know what, I've got error and I've got problems in my life, even though I look so put together. It produces in us humility. We're all sinners. We're all guilty. And the scripture says, if you don't believe that you're sinning, you're making God out to be a liar. So guess what? I know all of you guys here this morning are like me. You're a sinner! <laughs> and isn't that wonderful that we're all sinners together? In the Lord, amen. Isn't that wonderful that we all know that? That we all know that we're in need of a Savior. That's powerful. And that helps us to realize that nobody's on a pedestal. We're all in need of a Savior. We're all filthy rags. And because of our belief in Jesus Christ, and because we have been baptized, our sins and iniquities are continually washed away. We can confess, we can pray to him, and he constantly makes it white as snow. It feels good to know that all of us are a work in progress. That's powerful. And then lastly, what does confession produce? It produces hope. And I think that's a powerful one, too. You see, when you confess and you purify yourself, you can say, you know what? Today was a bad day, but tomorrow can be better. Right? Tomorrow can be better. And the next day could be better. And you have a hope-filled outlook on life. And that's why this idea of confession is so powerful. And in order to walk in the light, we've got to make sure we practice some of those principles. So by way of invitation, you know, I'm not trying to gain... 50 people coming forward this morning at all. That's not the, that's not the, that'd be nice, but that's not the point. That's not the point. But I just want to share with you how from 1 John we can learn to walk in the light and remain connected to God. So by way of invitation, there may be someone here that needs prayer in their life, that wants to come forward in a public way and say, hey, I'm guilty. The church will pray with you and pray for you and encourage you. Others of you don't feel comfortable with that. I would encourage you to find someone that you can share with. Get that burden off your chest. Get that burden off your chest so that you can be purified and living a life that God wants you to live. Maybe there's someone here this morning that is not a Christian. If you've not given your life to the Lord, you're just carrying so much baggage, why don't you let it go? And the way you let it go is through the waters of baptism. We'll baptize you today. All your sins and iniquities can be washed away. You'll no longer be walking in darkness. You'll be walking in the light. 
And I tell you what, there's no greater joy than to walk in the light of the Lord. Whatever your needs and concerns are, won't you come together while we stand and sing the song of invitation?